Turn to Romans, Romans chapter 2. Last week, I started um, ministering um, Pastor Roxanne. Um, I was filling in for her last week. Um, And um, many of you guys weren't here. You missed that message. But um, I'm going to do a little bit of review, and then I'm going to move forward um, and share some more things. Um, We are talking about the goodness of God, and most of you guys know that that is um, one of my favorite subjects. If you know anything about me, it it, it is what brings me alive. Um, What really uh, makes my day is uh, hearing about the goodness, the goodness of God. And so uh, last week we we started talking about it. I asked a question when we first started. I said, who in here is concerned about saving souls? And everybody raised their hand. I'm going to ask the question again tonight. Who in here is concerned about seeing souls saved? Raise your hand high if that's one of your concerns. Well, we know that that is a priority for God. Um, One of the first memory verses that people memorize is John 3.16. What's John 3.16 say? Sounds like most of y'all learned the King James Version. (laughs) It all depends on what version you learn. But John 3.16 says that God loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son. Um, And it was his love that caused him to give. We understand that, right? Jesus was given because of God's love for the world. He sent his son because of that love. Um, And so what we have to understand is that everything is initiated from the love of God. What we see God do in our life it is uh, rooted in the fact that he loves us. Um, there's a scripture that says that perfect love casts, casts out or it dismisses all fear, casts away fear. What is it able to do? When I understand that God's love for me is perfect, then I have no reason to fear in any situation. If I'm in danger, I have no reason to fear because I know that his love is perfect. And because his love is perfect for me, I know that he sent his angels to surround her and camp around about me and to protect me. So there's no reason to fear Um, when I know that he is Jehovah Jireh. And he says that he would that he would uh, supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory. I know that that is his desire. I know that that is the foundation. So there's no reason to fear when I get in a situation of need or lack. I actually can turn to the Father and be confident that he's going to respond to the need. Why? Because he's already declared. I have no reason to fear. The devil can't sway me on that. He can try to. But the thing is, is that the truth is is that he is Jehovah Jireh. He is our provider. And so when we understand that love is who God is, that he is love, then from there it it actually opens up Um, It opens us up to the rest of the truths about him. And last week, we were focusing on the goodness of God. The goodness of God. Pastor Roxanne began to um, speak to us about this subject um, two weeks ago. And we're talking about the goodness of God. It's important that I understand that God is good. Everybody say, God is good. Say it one more time. God is good. Look at your neighbor and say, God is good. I just came from a training today that was specifically designed for educators. And um, the lady, 
um, most of the methods that I saw her use, I could see that we use them in church. A lot of times um, people use them out of tradition, but we don't really understand that there are uh, scientific methods that are connected to these things. Some of us just do it just because we've seen our, our granddaddy did it or uh, our bishop did it or our pastor did it or, or whoever did it, and then we followed it. I know I did. I have people repeat things all the time just based upon I've seen other people did it. Look at your neighbor and tell them. God is going to favor you, and then you tell them to look at it, and then they look. But <clears throat> our minds gather and retain information in certain ways. And I was in this training, and one of the things that I noticed is it reminded me a lot of church. Whenever she wanted us to understand a concept, she would have us say it again. One thing we know that um, even though God's word is true, um, it does not become active in our life until we now take his word and put it on our lips and let it release out of our mouths. Now it becomes something that it can operate in our lives. That's what the law of confession is. We say what God has already said, therefore we make it active in our lives. And so, you know, don't, don't take it for granted sometimes when the minister is trying to uh, have you repeat things because he uh, is really working a scientific principle that can benefit your lives. You guys in Romans 2? Yeah. It's fundamental that we know that the goodness of God is uh, <clears throat> a priority for God to reveal his goodness to us. Um, Romans 2, we all just said that we have the desire to see men saved, souls saved. Romans 2 verse 1 says this, Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, what whosoever thou art that judges. For wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judgest doest the same things. Last week I looked at that verse and was like, man, I could preach that verse, but that ain't the message today. Verse 2, but we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them that commit such things. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things, and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God. Verse 4 is where we want to focus in at. It says, Or despiseth thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. Everybody look at your neighbor and say, The goodness of God leads man to repent. What is repenting? Repenting is changing the mind. Changing the mind. We already said that we all have a desire to see men's lives change, their souls come to Christ. We want to see men's lives saved. Now, we cannot forget that it's the goodness of God that leads man to repent. Um, last week we talked about it, I'm still reviewing, that... <clears throat> What God's goodness actually does is it provides a bridge or a, a bridge to him. It provides a bridge to him. What it does is it, it provides a navigation system. Um, <clears throat> there, let me say this. Let's say there is a, a taste challenge. And they set church's chicken up. <clears throat> they set Popeye's chicken up. They set KFC's chicken out. Let's just start. Oh, okay. Louisiana chicken out. And, and just one of my favorites, Wingstop's chicken out, right? They set them all out. They set all of the chicken out. 
Now, when you taste of that goodness, it leads you back to who it is that uh, made that chicken. Like, I can taste the chicken and know, you know what, that's straight from churches. I can taste the lemon pepper chicken and say, that's straight from Wingstop. I know exactly um, where it came from. Well, that's how God's goodness is. His goodness, it actually leaves a trail. It actually leaves clues that God is a part of this. Like, God did this. And that's one of the most important things about spreading the goodness of God and letting people know about the goodness is because his goodness is far above anything man can uh, dream up himself, anything man can create. God's goodness is supreme and higher than anything that man can do. Oftentimes, um, people would come up to Jesus and they would say, I perceive that thou art a prophet. I perceive that thou art from God, sent from God. Why? Because no man, nobody can do these things unless they've been sent of God. Why? Because it only tastes like this or this, on, this experience is only here because it's connected to God. You understand? It, it's a result of the, of the relationship with God. And so it's going to be his goodness that's going to change the mind of men. Go over to Luke 5. I have to speak of his goodness. Scripture lets us know that we overcome by what? By the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. Jesus accomplished the blood part. Now what is left is the word of our testimony. What is left for us is to let out the word of our testimony, to declare whatever it is that is our testimony. We are, Jesus did his part. So the overcoming has already been provided Jesus' part by him. He did his portion. Now it's our job to now go in and let the word of our testimony bring in, bring in the, uh, the win for the team. Scripture lets us know that Jesus, he's, he's waited, he's seated. He's not coming back until his enemies have been made a footstool. And who's going to make the enemies the footstool? The body of Christ. And so he's waiting for us to get this correct. So if God's priority is in saving the world, then our priority has to be in saving the world. But if we're going to save the world, we have to do it the way that he told us to do it. At the end of the day, um, we're still on this earth because he's still trying to get us to be fruitful and to multiply. Our job is to not only leave with myself saved, but to leave with other people saved also. It's no good if, 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 if Jamie is saved, but her best friend is not saved. Does that make sense? So God is intending for us to multiply. Let's just look at this really quick. What do we say? It's the goodness of God that leads man to repentance. It literally creates a bridge. It creates a pathway. It's like a navigation system. It's like a compass towards God. It, it leads man. It causes man to repent. It, I mean, it, it causes man. It's like a confrontation that causes man to say, you know what? I need God in my life. Verse 1, it says, And it came to pass, as people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Genesaret and saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Verse 4, Luke 5. 
Now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a drop. Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all night and have taken nothing. Hold on, let's stop right there. Simon responds back to Jesus and says, Master, we have toiled all night, but we have taken nothing. What he does is he says, look, um, this is something we've been doing all day. We've been working hard at this. This is the results that we have. I, I, my mind is telling me, look, uh, I, I mean, this, we've done this before. This is the results that have been produced. But he then says one thing. He says, nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. Now, I don't know what his expectation was at this moment. I don't know. The Bible's not really clear if, if Simon's responding in faith. He might not have. He might have been. But he surrendered to the word of God. Um, this could have simply just happened simply because Jesus had it on his mind to accomplish it. Jesus has the ability to bring in a home run. It might not have been Simon's faith that was causing, um, because what was his first response? He's like, we've toiled all night. His first thought is we've toiled all night. But he says, nevertheless, at your word. I could see it like, have you ever uh, knew something was uh, supposed to be one way, and then somebody else tried to do it another way? And instead of being like arguing with them, you're just like, you know what? Whatever. Let's just go for it. And you know it, and you're, you're really just, you're not going to be able to convince them anything different, so you let them go through the experience. Just so you could prove, like, I told you so. You wouldn't have believed me, but there wasn't no fish in this water. They ain't trying to get caught tonight. I don't know if that was Simon's approach, but it, it very well could have been. But the point is, he surrendered to the word, and he said, nevertheless, at your word. Your word, uh, it's, this is on you. <laughs> You said it, we're going to do it. Now, he says here, he says, when they had done this, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes in the net break. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships so that they began to sink. One thing that's going to happen, we know that God's promises are true. They're yes and amen. Meaning if God tells me to do something, that I can take that to the bank. Simon might not have necessarily had that information. Do you guys understand? Simon might, he, he doesn't have that background necessarily, that, 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 that he has that faith or rapport in Christ. But we do. Notice something that can happen, though. When we surrender to the word, not only will it set up our lives for success, but it will also set up others' lives for success. Because now they move from a place of just having enough for their boat, but now they had enough for everybody else's boat. It's an overflow. But I have to first surrender to the word myself. And then I open up the gate for others to be blessed by my surrender. Now, I know them brothers didn't come to help, and it's like, we can't take none home ourselves. You know they got some too. So, there's a multitude of fish that come forth. Here we go. Simon's in a setting where he's not seen anything as a result of his work. He's worked all night. He's, he, I mean, he's a fisherman by trade. It's what he does. He knows, actually, he knows when they're supposed to be out. We done probably missed all the good fish 
the, the, the idiot fish, the one they're going to fly. Now we're probably working with the smart ones and know we're trying to catch them. He's been through that. He's processed that. What I'm trying to create is the environment. This is Simon's environment. And what Christ does with his goodness, what the kingdom does with the goodness, is it literally confronts the environment. It confronts the environment. And so what happens is, check this out. When Peter saw this, look at your neighbor and say, when Peter saw this, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. What happens? The goodness of God leads man to repentance. What it literally does, it causes man to repent. Why? Because it's like running into a wall. It's like running into a, it's like a confrontation with, you know what, this is something different than what I've ever experienced. It literally places man out of like, whoa, whatever that is, I need that. And the problem is when we're not convinced of his goodness first or when we're not sharing of the goodness of God, we have no wall for them to run into. We have no confrontation with, with, with moving them from impossible to possibilities. I, I told you guys uh, before, there's a ministry out in Northern California that one of their things that they do is they actually go out and they do drive-by healings. And what they do is they go through the mall or they go through a, a public place where people are at and they actually go up to people and they ask, can they pray? For them and their healing. And oftentimes they get people who are reluctant. Why would they be reluctant? I mean, they don't necessarily know Christ. They don't necessarily have a relationship with God. They, they don't have that expectation that we would have because we know that he is our healer. So what do they do? They begin to <clears throat> break, run them into that wall of confrontation. What they do is they literally now begin to tell of all the testimonies that they witnessed over the last week. You know what? I see your knees hurting. My brother, his knee was hurting last week. You know what? He went in and the doctors were saying he had to have all these surgeries and blah, 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 blah. You know what? Pastor prayed for him and the saints came around. And you know what? That knee, he went back to the doctor and the doctor's like, I don't know what happened. Whatever you did, I need to know so I can write a book about it and sell millions. They tell of the goodness. So they say, oh, really? Did that happen? You know what? I need to try that. Oh, you can pray for me. Go ahead. And so now they have permission. They've literally created an environment where the people are now welcoming. Why? Because they've already toiled all night. And they've caught nothing. But what happens is when we bring the goodness to them, now it becomes a confrontation. It's a confrontation that confronts. It brings them to this place where all they can do is say, hold on. That's no ordinary result. You're not supposed to be able to do that. Do you guys understand what's happening? The goodness leads man. It causes man to repent. That's why it's important. At the end of the day, the Bible says that signs and wonders should follow them that believe. What's important about these signs and wonders? The signs and wonders are confrontation points. 
where all of a sudden I know that this was the only thing that was possible. And then all of a sudden now I'm seeing something that is now impossible. It's a confrontation point. That's why people go and they, they, they go to, uh, they'll sit there and watch a magician. And they'll get, have you ever noticed how, how a magician could just start a trick? Anytime I've ever wanted to get an attention in my class, I've performed a trick. And you guys know I love Jesus. I don't, I don't do nothing demonic. I do not do anything that is, is I'm not tapping into no, no, no spiritual powers or nothing. It is literally a trick. It is me getting one to focus on one thing, and then I'm able to uh, manipulate the scene or orchestrate the scene in such a way that I'm able to get over on them and get the trick across. But I'm not doing anything, for those that might not know me, I'm not doing anything that's spooky or might, you guys understand it, nothing devilish. I'm not like, I ain't messing with like Chris Angel and all them cats. I'm just doing a, a, a simple trick. The point is, is whenever I've done a trick, it, 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 it attracts people. There was a preacher, he's a minister, he, uh, he might have been, a, I know he was a youth pastor for sure, that was from Colorado, and he came to our school. And one of the things that he did was, he did tricks. Now, he, 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 was, he was doing some stuff. But I knew he was on my team, so I wasn't worried about it. But he, he was doing some stuff where I sat there like, how in the world? But notice what happens. It confronts. It confronts. It brings you to the place of confrontation and saying, hold on, that's not ordinary. So it sets your mind up to be receptive to whatever is connected to that. So as we see in Luke 5, Simon has just toiled this whole time. He has no results, but as a result of being confronted with the goodness of God, all of a sudden he sees it and he falls to his knees. The goodness of God, when we share the goodness of God. I, I mean, when I'm talking to my students, my students are going through a lot, a lot. Things that combined, if we combine our experiences in here, we, they won't add up to maybe one thing that... Uh, that everything that one student has dealt with. I mean, I got students going through serious things. And I know that the devil is after them and he's trying to cripple their lives. But I'm not going with the old fire insurance evangelism plan. I told y'all about the fire insurance evangelism plan last week. If y'all see that on Twitter or anything, they must have heard my tape. Because... Fire insurance evangelism plan. What is the fire insurance evangelism plan? Ask me. <laughs> it is scaring them into salvation. Now, what did we say is the wrong, what was wrong with that? We said that God has not given us a spirit of fear. And so what he is actually doing or what we're actually doing when we try to scare people in. We might let them know, you know what? If you don't save your soul tonight, if you don't let God save your soul tonight, you could die and go to hell. Is it true? It is true. However, has it caused them to legitimately uh, have, a, have a desire to repent? 
Actually, what they've done is they have, we've, 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 we've tried to uh, <clears throat> use the terrible things about hell to get them to receive the great things about heaven. But what happens is because we have now utilized a tool that is not a spirit that God is giving out, it's in the realm of the enemy's territory because it's impossible to please God without faith. We're, we're not saved. We're not justified. You will not find a scripture that says you are justified by fear. We are justified. We are made righteous by faith. So what happens is when we utilize fear as the, as the agent that gets them into the kingdom, as soon as the enemy is able to remove that rug from underneath their feet, the rug of fear, now they have nothing else to stand on. And because we have not promoted the kingdom, what did Jesus come in? He didn't come in talking about the enemy's kingdom all day. He came in preaching the kingdom of God is like this. The kingdom of God is like this. He's not saying hell is like this. Hell is like this. He said it a few times. But he is not preaching it all day, every day. Yet our biggest evangelism strategy has been to use the fire insurance evangelism plan. And what happens is because they have not been confronted with the goodness of God. When the enemy is able to pull out the rug of fear, you know what? You got time. Remember I told you guys about the song last week? I said, the whining came out of the song, tomorrow, I give my life tomorrow. Y'all remember that song? Tomorrow, I got more time. Enemy comes, you know what? You got more time. You know what? He, you saw that? Oh, yeah, your friend went up there last week preacher said y'all might die so he went up there I told you that you was going to have time and what do you got you got time you got some more time get it together tomorrow look at your parents your parents didn't get it together until they was what 37 you 22 why are you going to get it together what land are we in we're in the land of fear he's able to pull it out and say you know there's nothing to be fearful of when you eat that fruit, he knows that you're going to be just like him. He, he's able to pull that rug. However, what is he not able to control? He's not able to control love. Because love is the distinguishing factor of the believer. At the end of the day, we know that prophecies, they may fail. But at the end of the day, what happens? Charity is going to always remain. Love is going to always remain. And so what the enemy has done is he's got us to help him out. To keep his kingdom bigger because our churches, all we do is advertise. You know what? The world is getting bad. Did y'all see the murders that happened last week in Compton? I'm sure murders happened last week in Compton. They, they have always. <laughs> I'm making it up. This is an example, but I mean, Google search, huh? In Compton? Oh, <laughs> Wisconsin. Now I said this last week. 
Jesus' perfect theology. One of the things that Jesus did was he came to not only save us, but to reveal to us how we should actually act as Christians. How to, he came to reveal the Father. Scripture lets us know that we should be imitators of Christ. And so what we have to do is we have to see how did Christ save individuals? How did he bring them into the kingdom of God and pull them out of darkness? Now, last week I said this. You will find places in scripture where he's talking about hell, where he's talking about the end of the days, where he's talking about all these different things. And I challenge you guys to look to see if there was an altar call that took place after those moments. You don't find an altar call after those moments because that was not what actually causes or leads man to repentance. It's the goodness of God. And so what I said is why we have a responsibility to tell the truth and we have a responsibility to inform. That is great information. That is valuable information that hell really exists, that 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 if I do not accept Christ and what he's done for me, that I can go to hell. That is true. But notice that that does not lead man to repentance. And so if I give information, I cannot stop there. I have to move into the place where I have actually shared the gospel because the gospel, I'm not ashamed of it because it is the power of God unto salvation. What is the gospel? It is the good news. And so when my message or when my strategies do not incorporate the good news, I might have let them know about a real hell, about a real devil, about real scenarios where the devil's trying to kill, steal, and destroy them. But I have not, what I have not done is I have not led them to repentance. Why? Because it's his goodness that leads men to repent. I've informed them and I've given them correct information. But I have not brought them to Christ. And the church is really one of the only groups that I see that spends most of our time talking about the devil's kingdom. The devil is busy. What does that do? We hinder God's the ability for the kingdom to expand. Jesus, once again, how, I mean, how is he saving people? He's, he confronts the woman at the well. He lets her know that, look, you know what? You drink of this, what I got. This is what I got. You might have thought you had something, but this is what I got. You'll never thirst again. He's advertising the kingdom. Yeah, he's like, you, 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 you know, you got a lot of husbands. But that, but, but he's advertising the kingdom. I, am, I don't want you guys to walk away and say, Mr. Charles said, don't tell people the truth. That is not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is we have to understand that if we do not advertise the goodness of the kingdom, if we do not promote it, Jesus has done his job. We overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. The blood of the lamb has already been shed. He's already died. He's risen on our behalf. Now that's already done. Now it's up for us to bring in the other part, which is the word of our testimony. And so we have to come with the goodness so that we can see people overcome. 
man, oh man. Yeah. All right, y'all feel me? Y'all understand what I'm saying? It's gonna be the goodness. I have to have it on my lips. I, I, I mean, I have to have it in the front of my mind. God is a good God all the time. I know we say it, we, it's gotten real churchy, it's gotten real, this place where it's real cliche. But it's still true that God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. He's good all the time. One, uh, I heard one minister uh, preaching, um, Pastor Ronk, I, I'll just say the name because y'all could stay in prayer for his father. Apostle Ron Carpenter. He was, he was preaching, and he was telling the people about his father. His father is, was, man, like the head of one of the largest Pentecostal groups in the world. Over five, I think he said over five million members connected to the group. Huge. But his father is being challenged right now in his body. Sickness is challenging him. What he said is, One thing he said, he said, this is the situation that's going on with my father, but this does not change what I believe. God is still a healer, even though I see this situation with my natural eyes, even though I see this as a reality in the natural. God is still a healer. At the end of the day, he's still a healer no matter what we see. He's still a provider no matter what we see. It does not change the fact. And that's what I'm saying. We cannot get caught up in all the other things that are going on in society, the bad things that are going on, homosexuality being on in in, in a place of exposure, um, in a greater exposure, Uh, um, people lying and cheating and uh, all these things that we're, that we're, that are put in front of our face, we cannot let that dictate or change what we believe and what we know is true, that God is still good. I, I know everybody in the world is blaming September 7th on my God, but I'm not going to do that because my God is not connected to that. He's still a good God. Are you trying to tell me that God did that? No, it doesn't match up because my God is a good God. No matter what people's explanations might be. Insurance companies, they will call it an act of God. Tornado wipes out a whole city. An act of God. That is not my God. My God is a good God. That was a result of my man Adam. Bible says that all of creation is groaning. It's waiting for the sons of God to manifest. So when I see things, I have to understand that when Adam fell, so did other things in this earth. They began to die off. That we, it wasn't intended for things to die. Life was there. So when I see things like death, when I see things like um, tragedies and all these things that are taking place, it's as a result of the fall. But it's not because my God isn't good. Now, we have authority. Jesus showed us what to do. If that wind starts acting up, I don't say, you know what, there's a hurricane coming. I'm supposed to speak to the hurricane and tell it to stop. Why? Because... All of creation is waiting for the sons of God to manifest. Why? Because the sons of God tell it what to do. 
environment is actually waiting for us to put it back into the place that it needs to be. It's not supposed to be throwing things off. It's not supposed to be devastating lives. But because the church has not got to one collective voice and one collective uh, place of unity where we understand our position, basically the sons of God are out of place and not walking the way that we should be walking. Therefore, we see a lot of things going on. But fundamentally, we have to first understand that God is good. Now, earlier I was talking to an individual and a word was thrown out, which was hermeneutics. And the discussion was, well, what does hermeneutics mean? One said, I don't know. I had some type of uh, understanding of it, but I wanted to be more clear. So I look it up. Does anybody in here know what hermeneutics means? Hermeneutics has to do with the study or, or the biblical study of interpretation. The principles of interpretation, hermeneutics. So when I look at this Bible, there are certain rules that they have uh, created or have brought to light that say that um, if I'm going to interpret this Bible correctly, I have to understand certain things. Uh, Okay, let me make this simple. Before I can properly understand the Pythagorean theorem, I have to first understand one plus two plus three. Why? Because before I start messing with variables and I start messing with angles, A squared plus B squared equals C squared. Before I start messing with all that stuff, I have to have the foundation here. The foundation here is addition, basic addition. Knowledge is built upon knowledge. So what they're saying is I can't really understand the Bible to its greatest depth if I don't understand certain things. I told someone, I, I shared this with Bishop before too, that I used to write on my, on, my, on my arm, I used to have rubber bands when I used to play basketball, put rubber bands on my arm. And before, you know, they started making them with stuff on it, I was writing stuff on it. Old school rubber band. Write what I wanted to put on it. I should have, man. Anyway, I could be, woo. All right, so I'm writing what I want to write. Matthew 6.33 is what I want to write because I want to see it on my arm. One of my favorite scriptures, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. One of my favorite scriptures. Probably is my favorite scripture. My favorite book is Genesis. All right, so anyways, favorite scripture, Matthew 6.33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Years ago, Uh, When I was in college, God began to teach me on the kingdom. Years later, he began to teach me on his righteousness. I did not know that that's what was going to happen. But when I looked back, the testimony was that he he walked me down. He started teaching me on the kingdom. So I began to understand the kingdom. And then when I understand the kingdom, oh, my goodness, the Bible became a different book. All of a sudden, it made sense. I remember sitting down watching Miles Monroe preach on TVN and being like, Oh, that makes sense. Because when you understand the kingdom, then all of a sudden you understand so much more about the Bible. It's a book about a king, his kingdom and his kids. You understand you have a constitution. You understand that he was trying to establish his government. 
I mean, you understand all these things. Then he began to teach me about his righteousness. How things are received by his work and not my work. How when I ask in faith, faith is not me um, making God do anything. Faith is actually me responding to what he has already done. It's a positive response. It's me coming in agreement with what he's already decided to do. He set the promise there. So when I come in faith, I'm not making him now give me this this adapter. He's already declared in his word that look, I want to give him this adapter. So now when I say, I say, Father, I, I, I ask for this adapter. I thank you. I declare that this adapter is mine. He's saying, well, finally. I, I'm not making him do it. He's already provided it. You guys understand the difference? His righteousness. He began to teach me about that. And then all of a sudden, I see the, the Bible just completely differently. It's been there the whole time, but because I have this information, now I'm able to see and understand it differently. You guys understand that? Hermeneutics. What hermeneutics does is it, it, it actually helps us see things and understand the Bible differently. It's rules that helps me. The Bible says to rightly divide the word of truth. Now, you know, I've preached that before, but I just want to focus in um, in the term of God desires for us to understand his word and to be able to understand it um, and be able to apply it in a truthful way. Hermeneutics. One of the rules of hermeneutics that you learn when you study hermeneutics is that you have to, um, you never, <clears throat> you never violate context. So we hear people use scriptures all the time, especially it comes from um, our, us. A lot of times scripture was passed down. People didn't intend to violate context, but they were just passed down. Down because originally we, we didn't have access to reading, especially the black community. We didn't have access to reading. They, they didn't let us read. So we, we heard, we overheard them say things and then we would say it. Or maybe one person could read and they would try to tell everybody else. But whoever's ever played the telephone game understands how that works. I say Sally looks beautiful today and her um, shoes look really nice. Someone else says Sally, uh, your shoes is okay. And, and it, I mean, it just starts changing the message as it goes down the line. Well, that's what happened. Now, what the rules, what, 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 what... <clears throat> What happened is we had a lot of things said out of context. Like, for instance, um, we, we hear terms like greasy grace. Or we hear um, um, well, that too, God helps those who help themselves. Um, right. Um, we hear scriptures that aren't, we hear things that people say are scriptures, but they're not even scriptures. Um, uh, man, what is the scripture? It's in Galatians. It talks about um, not abusing God's grace. I'll get it for you guys later. Frustrate the grace of God. There we go. So, so old grandma might be like, girl, that dress... You got on. Them heels you got on. Don't go out out there frustrating the grace of God. Now, she means well, and what she means is uh, don't let, 
Don't let your liberty be, be, uh, be an occasion for what? The flesh. That would have been the proper scripture to use. But the scripture that was used at that moment was don't frustrate the grace of God. Don't frustrate the grace of God is actually a scripture that tells us to utilize the grace of God. It's not saying, you know what, God got that grace for you. Don't frustrate it. Don't, don't, you know, don't do nothing. The scripture is actually saying, no, the grace is there because I know that you cannot do what I need you to do outside of me. And so when you don't pick up what I've provided for you, you've now frustrated the grace. You guys understand? Context. Taking things out of context or the whole thing about preaching another gospel. You'll hear a preacher, they'll use the word, oh, he's preaching another gospel. And, and, and it's usually attached to those that are preaching about grace. But that scripture actually is talking about grace. When you actually preach something else that is not grace, Paul called it another gospel. Something that excludes the gospel, the good news of God, that is another gospel. Something that puts you back into bondage, something that puts you into a place of trying to accomplish it for yourselves and not letting God do it. That is another gospel. That's what he was saying when he used it. Do you guys understand? So one of the principles is context. I cannot, everybody say context. I cannot, uh, I, can, I can lift a principle, but if me, my lifting of that principle to use it in another situation violates context, then I cannot do that. Does that make sense? So, now context. One of the other things is understanding the author understanding who he was speaking to and understanding what is going on historically. For instance, sometimes we'll take things that he specifically meant to say to to the children of Israel that were standing right there and we'll apply it to the whole church at a whole. When it wasn't, he's not talking to the whole church as a whole, as in the New Testament church. He was talking literally to Israel. So we'll take it and say, you know what, but that don't apply to us because that wasn't who he was talking to. You guys understand? Or there's things that he would say to us who are Gentiles that he would never have said to the children of Israel. Why? Because that doesn't apply to them. They'd be like, huh? Now, I have a point with all this. There's another, inter- there's another interpretation principle called the law of first mention. Meaning that the first time that I am introduced to something um, in scripture, I need to stop and pay attention. Because what is going to happen now is later on, after that is talked about later, I will see the basics or the principles or the foundational principles of it in that first scripture. It will never go away. Does that make sense? I'll give you the more scientific way to, 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 to say this. It basically means this. The law first mentioned may be said to be the principle that requires one to go to that portion of Scripture where a doctrine is mentioned for the first time and to study the first occurrence of the same in order to get the fundamental inherent meaning of that doctrine. Okay, let me make this simple. The simple affects the complex. Before there was the complex, there was the simple. What do I mean by that? Before we have the SR-71 plane or the B-2 bomber or some of these planes that we fly with, some of these planes that we fly with, some of these planes that we fly with now, 
before I had that, I have to go back to the Wright brothers. When I, when I look at the Wright brothers and I look at what they made, I will see the same foundations still in place with this SR-71 or this B-2 bomber. You guys understand? You guys understand or you just, have I lost y'all? You know what we learned today? 15 minutes. 15 minutes is as long as the speaker has basically on average to maintain attention. So all the, all the preachers, all the preachers that, that, all the preachers that go and, and preach for, for an hour plus, I've been guilty. I've had a two, almost three hour message. I've done it before. They're saying that, no, 15 minutes. So then what we're taught to do as educators, we're taught to now do something that will now get your attention back up. So then I understand why a preacher might jump on a, on a, on a, on a, on a, on a chair. I'm just playing. The point is, is I asked y'all a question and y'all was like, huh? Do you guys understand? The Wright Brothers plane, the original, when they made the plane, when we look at their plane and now we look at the new planes, the new planes still have the basic fundamentals, the basic principles of that first plane. Does that make sense? So the simple, the beginning stages affect the complex, those things that follow later. You guys understand? All right. Everybody say got it if you got it. So I'm a, this is where I'm, I'm landing the plane. Our whole purpose is to save men's souls. Our, 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 our purpose is to expand the kingdom. Our, our Jesus said that I've been anointed to, 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 to preach the good news to the poor. I mean, he's there to, to set the captives free. He's there to do all these different things. Open the eyes of the blind. Open deaf ears. All these different things. Now, that is now our job. Jesus said the same things that he did that we would do them and greater, right? So now that's our job. However, we cannot do our job if we are not first convinced of the goodness of God. Why am I telling you guys that? Because the first thing that we understand about God before he ever even gives us his ta- our task is that he introduced us to his goodness. Genesis chapter 1. Go over there really quick, and then we're stopping. Um, For those that have been here before, we're familiar that in Genesis 1, um, 1 and 26, we know that man is made in the image and likeness of God. Right? Let us make man image like the sky. Back up to verse 1, Genesis 1 and 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. Why did we come over here? Because I was trying to tell you guys about the principle of first mention. What does first mention tell us? It tells us that when we look at the beginning, when we look at the original concept of something being introduced, When we look at that original, 
as we go on in time, that prototype will still be true. Those fundamentals in that prototype will still, you will still be able to see those things still there now. Like when we first moved from, from, from typing, um, <clears throat> from, from writing things with our hand, they started coming out with typewriters. Well, a computer still kind of looks like a typewriter, right? They still have space bars, and they still have inner buttons, and they still have all the letters. They still kept the Q-W-E-R-T-Y. They still kept that, right? They didn't go in and change it. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? It got more complex. Like, we got gigabytes and RAM, and we have screens attached to them, and we have, we're now messing with paper and all these other things. But the basic foundation stayed there. That's important. Because when we're first introduced to God, we're introduced to his goodness, which means that God has been good from the beginning. If he was good in the beginning, he's still good today. No matter what is kind of changed in between, when we are first introduced to God, he's still God. He's still a God that is good. We talk about the song, let's go back to Eden, living on top of the world. Well, when we sing that song, what are we talking about? We're saying, let's go back to what was originally intended. All right, so here, it says, and God saw the light. He said, God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was what? It was what? Look at your neighbor and tell him what it was. And God divided the light from the darkness. Skip down to verse 10. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters called he seas. And God saw that it was what? What was it? I can't hear everybody. Verse 12. And the earth brought forth grass and herb yielding seed after his kind, and the tree yielding fruit whose seed was in itself after his kind. And God saw that it was? All right. Verse 18. And to rule over the day, over the night, and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was? It was good. What's going on? God is creating things. He's making things. And everything that is coming out of him is what? It's good. So why would we fast forward some 6,000 something years later and now try to let people tell us something else other than what we saw in the beginning? The foundations were set in the beginning that what comes out of God, that what my God produces, what comes out of him is goodness. It is good. Nothing else comes out of him but that. That's what we're first introduced to. We're first introduced to his goodness. And then when we get to verse 26, when man first comes on the scene, man is not a man that is supposed to be being walked on. Man is not a man that is, that is, that is a low being. Man is not a man that <clears throat> is surrendered to a death, death situations, situations of, of tragedy. Man is a man that is what? He is first created in the image and the likeness of God, and then he's saying that man is supposed to be having dominion. He then says that in verse 28, God blessed them. So what does God do? He blesses man. What does bless mean? Empower to prosper. First thing we know about is God is good. Everything that's coming out of him is good. So don't tell me that that earthquake was from God. Don't tell me that 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 wind is from God. He might allow it, but it's not from him. There's a difference. 
Do you guys understand the difference? It's the difference of there is a building owner that owns your apartment that you live in. They are the owner of it. God is the owner of this world. He owns it all. But there's a difference between owning something and being in control of it. Your apartment manager, your building owner does not control what is cooked inside the house. If someone comes in and they taste something that does not taste good, like, you, you can't cook fish. It's not supposed to look like this. It's not supposed to taste like this. They cannot get mad and say, you know what, I got to talk to the building owner because this is not good fish. Why? Because they're not in control of that. But we let people do that to God all the time. God owns this world, but he, the Bible says that the heavens are the Lord, but the earth has he given to the children of men. I'm stopping. So first mention, first mention is what? That God is good. If he was good, then he's still good now. Now, what this does is it allows for me to interpret situations. It allows for me to interpret scripture. It allows me to interpret circumstances correctly. Like Apostle Ron Carpenter said, my father might be being challenged in this situation, but my God is still good. Because I understand that this situation does not change what comes out of my God. And when we're convinced of his goodness, then we will really see the harvest because we will not let anything else come out of our mouth other than his goodness. The Bible says, don't let corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. That is not just don't cuss. That doesn't mean don't say cuss words. Don't use foul language. What it means is that God has established a standard for our language. And the standard for our language is a language that doesn't let corrupt communication come out of our mouth. How do I know if it's corrupt or not? It's corrupt when it does not minister grace to the hearers. What is grace? Grace is the power, the ability to accomplish what I could not accomplish before you were just talking to me. I'm going to have to stop. Grace. When we talk to people, it should minister grace. Uh, You guys understand? Father God, we just thank you for this word. We thank you, Father God, that you are a good God. No matter what we see, no matter what we experience, you are good, Father God. 